You're listening to One Shot, a fan fiction podcast. This episode, I am talking to Chelsea, and her fandom is Star Wars. Hi, Chelsea. Hi, it's so good to be talking with you. You as well. Now, do you, do you prefer Chels or Chell? How do you want me to say your name? Chell, yeah, Chell's fine. Either anything, anything goes really. Um, okay, beautiful. Whatever you're happy with. I usually, do, I usually do Chell. Okay, we'll go with Chell. So Chell, because you haven't been able to tell yet by the accent, is not from Australia. Um, she is from America. <laughs> um, and it is so nice of you to make the time to talk with me internationally. First international guest for my podcast, which is really exciting. Oh, I'm just really, I'm very happy to be here. And uh, as I, I think we already said, I am in the past, you are in the future. Yes. <laughs> uh, so this is very exciting for me too. I um, I haven't, I've done a few podcasts now, but I, I haven't spoken to anyone out of the country, I think. So this me is neither. pretty exciting for me too. First time for me too. I'm really stoked. We, I feel like we should like mention how we ended up connecting, which is that of course I binge read your fan fiction uh, and wept. And went to, <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. No, sorry. It's a thank you. Um, and started to read the sequel and saw that it was not finished. We'll get to that later. Um, and in a moment of desperation, I've never done this, by the way. I found you on Twitter and messaged you to ask if you were going to finish it, um, which I've never done. I don't know if you get that a lot, but I've never done that. Oh, my gosh. I, I do. A lot of people... <laughs> I no, I sorry, that sounded I'm afraid that that sounded really conceited, but no, I no, I did didn't. Get a lot of messages about it's, it's um, amazing fan fiction. But I also make myself available for that sort of thing. So I like I have Twitter, of course, but I also have uh Tumblr where people can send you anonymous messages and Curious Cat, which is linked to Twitter, which is basically an ask box, but for Twitter. Um it functions the same way. People can ask you anonymous questions and I got a lot of, I get I get a lot of people coming in and asking if the fic is going to be finished. Um, and sometimes it's sad because I'm like, ah, pr- probably, but I don't know when. Yeah, <laughs> which is what you gave me. And I, yeah, I was like, oh, I'm sad now. But I messaged you from the Twitter for One Shot Podcast, um, which at the time is was like completely inactive because I just started it. Um, and you were like, oh, are you doing a podcast? Um, and I said, yes. And then you very generously agreed to be on it. So it's very exciting. Yeah, it's exciting for me. I love doing podcasts. I love talking about fic, uh, the process, and but also like the culture around it. I think it's uh, it's a, it's just a really fascinating and pretty unique space. I totally uh, agree. Even just from a social perspective. So I I love this stuff. Amazing. Well, let's start from the start. This is the first question I ask everybody. What came first for you, writing fan fiction or being into Star Wars? Being into Star Wars, because I got into Star Wars when I was, I think, eight. I was indoctrinated by my parents. Uh, They were very strategic because the prequels were coming out. The prequels uh, one, two, and three were just entering theaters. Or maybe The Phantom Menace had just come out. And uh, my parents liked the films, so they decided to start me on um, the originals, four, five, and six. And I was obsessed with them. I uh, I saw A New Hope and I asked my mom if I could go to school in Princess Leia buns the next day. Oh, which was... <laughs> love that. <laughs> so I, cute. I have very fine, straight hair that that wasn't nearly long enough. So it ended up sort of being more of like a collection of bobby pins on either side of my head. Uh, but there was an attempt. 
so I, I definitely really loved it. And then when I was a, a tween, I read a lot of the old novels that have since been decanonized. I started writing fanfic when I was 13, but not for Star Wars. And a lot of the times I found that things that I was interested what, interested in when I was a young teenager have circled back around now that I'm in adulthood. So I, like my fandom before this one, I was really into Marvel and I was, you know, I got into comics when I was around that age. I got into Sherlock Holmes when I was around that age. And that was my fandom for a lot of my college career. Uh, so I think Star Wars was pretty much only a matter of time, honestly, but it was the, uh, the current trilogy that grabbed me. And that's when I started writing fic for it. So when you started writing fan fiction, I was also 13. I feel like that's the very ripe fan fiction age when you start. How did you find it? Do you remember like figuring out what fan fiction is and, or did you go looking for it? Like, do you remember how you started to get engaged in that form? Yeah, I don't remember exactly if, uh, what the chicken or egg situation was, but my first fandom was the musical Wicked. Oh, uh, good one. <laughs> That's Did a you, good one. Do you like Wicked? I loved Wicked. Yeah. And I feel like I uh, probably read some Wicked fan fiction. I, I wouldn't put it past me. It's so good. And, um, and, and it's especially good when you're like 12 or 13 years old, which is how old I was when it came to Broadway, I think. And I remember I stumbled across just when I was Googling about Wicked and I wanted to talk to other people about it, a fan forum called Vertigree. Mm -hmm. That was where I was, I think, first exposed to fan fiction because people were on the board, they were writing fan fiction, they were making art, they were talking to each other. Honestly, by the time I arrived there, it had been a year or two since the musical started on Broadway and uh, activity on the forum was slowing down but there was still a lot of stuff for me to comb through. And I, I got to talk to people who were writing for it. And then I started writing for it. Um, a lot of sort of very, I guess, canonical. You you use those terms here, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I know that. what you mean when you say canon, alternate universe, blah, blah, blah. Canon, divergent, yeah. all of that. Yeah, yeah. So everything, um, everything I started writing was pretty much rooted in canon and... Mostly, I would say either missing scenes or like introspection, you know, just like really Love. zooming in on one moment and going, oh, what was this character thinking? And I feel like uh, in, in many ways, that's a kind of natural place to start. And then branching out from there, I, I did a, a few AU things and eventually moved on to Harry Potter and then, you know, half a dozen other things. And now I'm here. I have very similar, like I've done Marvel, Harry Potter, all of those fandoms. I feel like if you haven't done a Harry Potter fan fiction like, are you even in fan fiction? Like, everyone does a good Harry Potter one. <laughs> Actually, so I, for Wicked, I wrote for Wicked, and then I wrote uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Mary Sufic that nobody ever saw, for good reason. <laughs> it got to 40 pages, though. Like, I was Decent. pretty impressed with that. And then I was like, I can't publish this anywhere. Oh, my God. Harry Potter actually got me back into fan fiction after I'd been away for, I, I would say, a year or so. Because, and this is hilarious, because it feels really mainstream, there was an article about Harry Potter fan fiction in the Washington Post. And yeah, and because, and I, I just followed one of them to this epic fanfic. Um, have you read the Shoebox Project? I don't think I've read it, but I think I've heard of it. Yeah, the Shoebox Project was this uh, gigantic Ramus Lupin, Sirius Black fanfic that mostly dealt with 
well, that entirely dealt with the time that they were at Hogwarts, the what the Harry Potter people call the Marauders era, right? Yes. And a very ripe section for fan fiction. I feel like there's a lot of fix about the Marauders because it's so unexplored. Yeah, and which I think is great. I think that everybody should leave holes in their canon for fans to fill in. I think that that's one of the sort of things that that primes fic writers is the opportunity to explore what has previously been unexplored. But uh, yeah, so they they were writing in that era, and it was like an epistolary fic. There were letters exchanged. One of them was an artist, so she would sketch like these Polaroid photographs that were ostensibly taken by each of the characters. Uh, it was just such this, this such involved, it was just such an involved project and I was blown away and completely immersed and it got me thinking about the characters in a whole new way and I, I wanted to do that again. So yeah, so that got me back. I've been here ever since. That's really nice. Isn't it strange when fan fiction rears its head in mainstream media and you feel like a bit caught out? <laughs> a little bit. I Sometimes I'm like, I was... I thought it was weird at the time. Now, if it comes up, unless it's in a Fifty Shades of Grey context, I'm pretty like, yeah, go you. Oh, um, yeah, no, it's always a pleasure. But I feel like maybe, yeah, but pre Fifty Shades of Grey, hearing about fan fiction was really rare in mainstream media. And I, for me, fan fiction was a bit of a secret thing that I did. So when I heard so, you saw people talking about it, I was like, I've been seen. I've been caught. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, do you, no, I do totally people, understand. Um, I, it's like, this is my thing and I don't want the world to know about it. Um, do your like yeah. friends and family know about you writing fan fiction? Oh yeah, everybody everybody knows about me writing fan fiction. Um, I mean, not my, I was about to say not my cousins, not all of my cousins. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, not my grandmother. But oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, pretty much, you know, my immediate family, all my coworkers, pretty much all of like my close friends they everybody knows a lot of my close friends are also fic writers so it would be silly of them not to know yeah especially because if I may say so myself you have a very successful fan fiction what I I would categorize tactical surrender as being pretty successful um I obviously found it because it was the top page result for I only read fanfics on archive um Mm -hmm. and I usually search by either it depends on what I want. I search for bookmarks if I want something really long because, you know, if someone's if a fic has lots of bookmarks, it's probably because it's like posting a lot of chapters and people want to come back, keep track or something with lots of kudos, which can be really short as well because, you know, it's quick to read. People read it. Lots of people read it and then leave kudos. But I was searching for I wanted like a really tasty, thick Kylo Ren Ray fan fiction. Um <laughs> story of my life um and um tactical I'm, I'm, laughing, I'm laughing at thick in this context i'm just because oh, <laughs> i'm secretly 12 years old just all the time yeah. well i mean if there's another word to describe kylo ren besides thick i, I don't know what it is <laughs> he's massive um, i'm obsessed with adam driver personally it's how i ended up sort of falling i've always loved star, star wars but I've recently fallen back into it because I've been watching all of Adam Driver's films. Um, and I think Star Wars is genuinely one of his best performances. Uh, yeah, so he's amazing. He's incredible. So that's kind of why the obsession has reared its thick head. And now I'm back reading <laughs> Raylo Trash, which is what I am. Yeah, Raylo Trash. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about Tactical Surrender a little bit. 
I'll talk, we'll talk more about it after I read a passage, but I, let's just like to preamble uh, what I'm going to read because I'm not going from page one, chapter one, because I feel like um, it being really long, it really like digs into the character work further in the piece. And there was a really specific part of the fic that I wanted to read because I think it's really beautiful. So this is a question that like plagues my soul because I've never written something as long as this uh, for a fan fiction. How much of it, of it had you planned? Did you plan the whole thing before you started or did you have like a rough outline? This is a great question. And it, it goes into this anecdote that makes me feel a little foolish, uh, but that I still love to tell anyway. I used to be really afraid of outlines. I was afraid that, especially for a project that I was mostly writing in a fit of inspiration, that if I committed the entire plot down to an outline, then the inspiration would be gone because I already put it on the paper and I wouldn't uh, feel compelled to write it anymore. Uh, that That's not true, actually. Uh, but when I started writing Tactical Surrender, most of what I had for it was uh, in my head and it was kind of in pieces and the pieces were sequential, but it definitely wasn't a fully formed thing. It was just, uh, I need to get these two idiots back in a room together. (laughs) I feel that energy really hard. Um, was this before the last Jedi had come out? No, 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 no. I was, uh, I started writing it after I saw the last Jedi, like an hour after, like as soon as I got home from the theater, Uh, I was just so inspired by that movie and I was writing, I was writing and writing. And, uh, fortunately enough, I had that week off of work because it was the holidays. Uh, and I, I wrote 20,000 words in just that week, which is a lot for me. I think most, for most people, that's a lot for anyone. Yeah. (laughs) Um, at at a certain point I decided that I needed to put down an outline because the chronology of the fic is so tight that I didn't want to yeah. lose track of where I was. Yeah, the whole thing um, takes place in like basically what, like a week and a half. Like yeah, the, the it's. Bulk uh, of the I mean, aside from sort of a, a short time jump at the end, it's pretty much like uh, 10, 11 days. Yeah, it's so really short time it, frame. It's really compressed, and so I outlined the whole thing, and then when I got further along and I was posting it, a reader. I don't know who, I don't remember who it was. I don't remember which commenter this was. Accidentally made it known to me. Like they they weren't aware of what they were doing, but they made it known to me that it, like my outline had omitted something really, really important. And that's because, uh, as you know, but I guess for anybody who uh, is listening to this podcast who doesn't know, the story involves Ray sort of going, uh, not undercover in the First Order, but, you know, handing herself over with a, with the intent, with an ulterior motivation, right? She's uh, she's doing a, she's undertaking a mission for the resistance. Uh, it was around chapter seven, I think. Someone commented, "Oh man, I I you know, I wonder what's going to happen when Kylo Ren finds out why she's there." And uh, I was like, "Oh God, I I too wonder what's going to happen when Kylo Ren finds out she's there." <laughs> It's and it's one of the most devastating parts of the story when he yeah because it's like <laughs> and I spoilers I mean <laughs> that I needed it in my outline yeah um, I feel ridiculous for saying this but like spoilers for tactical surrender <laughs> like <if someone, laughs> but it's true like I'm gonna spoil the whole thing so if you want to pause the podcast go and listen sorry go and read 
you know, the 150,000 words of tactical surrender and then bounce back, (laughs) that would be great. When he finds out, it's like the climax of the story. Like they've saved the day and like Ben and Ray are on the same side. And then he finds out that she's sort of been playing him and he just like tears apart all the progress. And you're like, no, (laughs) Ben, (laughs) you had everything. Like he's so upset and he's so like, his ego is just so delicate. (laughs) It's true. It's it's true. But, you know, he he's been betrayed by so many people or he's felt betrayed by so many people who he's loved that it's you know, it's it's basically his personal uh, point of of like where he frays the most, I would say. And I think it makes sense for him as a character, but I totally just like I blanked on it. I did. And that's the moment, like, leaving aside the complete genre mismatch, you know, there's the moment, like, two-thirds of the way through every rom-com where, like, someone was lying the whole time or there was a big misunderstanding that completely blows up. And then that's that moment, and I just completely forgot that I needed it. In the original outline, like, her time was up and she, like, just left, which would have been really anticlimactic. Um, He needed to know, otherwise it's, you know, they can't, begin to actually have a re- an honest relationship as equals uh, as devastating as it was for him to find out. Did you know at that stage then as well that you would be writing what happens after like the sequel tactical Alliance? Was that part of the plan from the start or did that sort of result as the, as a result of the popularity of the fic? Uh, I mean, a kind of neither of those. I always knew that the fic was going to be open-ended, but originally it was going to have a different ending, partially because of like what I just told you that I had forgotten to I had forgotten to include something really really important, uh, but also for a number of other factors. As I was writing Tactical Surrender, I started, you know, seeing sort of what happened next with more immediacy, and those were the scraps that sort of formed the outline of Tactical Alliance. So it wasn't necessarily because it was popular and I wanted to continue that with that um, momentum because writing a sequel has been really hard. It was because like I wanted to tackle that for them and I, you know, I had things in my head uh, that I knew were going to happen that I wanted to see realized. I also knew, I mean, I guess I knew that people would be or not everybody, but some people would be dissatisfied by the relative open-endedness of Tactical Surrender, um, how it doesn't really end with that clean, happy ending. Although I think that it ends with a reasonably hopeful ending. I want to talk more about the popularity of the fic after we've had a read of it, because I think that's everyone else that I've talked to for this podcast has been, yeah, some of them have been published, but mostly like stories when they were, you know, like we like we were discussing, 13, 14 year olds writing fan fiction, putting it online, couple comments, or like people have never posted it. No one's ever read it. So yours is the first that I've read that's actually had like momentum behind it and popularity. A few quick stats for the listeners about Tactical Surrender. It is 155,000 words long. Insane. It has over 150,000 hits. It has 5,700 kudos, which is like a like, which is really impressive stats for fan fiction. So you should be pretty proud of that. I always find as soon as someone likes a fic that I'm writing, I'm done with it personally. Like I have to move on. So the (laughs) fact that you trudged through and kept going, I'm overwhelmed and impressed. Um, And it's been 
uh, if I got my dates right, just over a year since you finished it. So it's mm-hmm. nice. It's a bit of distance now for you. So I feel like once I've we've had a read, I'd be really interested to see what you think about your own work. I think that's reflections a super important part of being a writer. So I'd be really interested to see what you think about the work now. Yeah, I'm super interested to hear the section that you've chosen. I know that we talked about it a little bit, but you you talked about choosing a section within a section, and I'm, I'm really, really curious, so I can't wait to hear you read it. I've taken the knife to the work a little bit. I have taken parts out because just purely for time's sake, I could read the whole, like, 6,000-word passage that I picked, but probably too long, <laughs> unfortunately. So I feel like I need to give some context on the passage I'm going to read because it's, like, smack bang in the middle of the fan fiction. So... As um, Chell said, the premise of Tactical Surrender is that uh, it's a couple years after the events of The Force Awakens, not The Last Jedi, correct? It's after, like, Starkiller Base? Um, after, well, the, the Force Awakens and The Last Jedi take place within, like, a week's time span. No so, kidding. <laughs> uh, so pretty much, yeah, three years after The Last Jedi. So three years after The Last Jedi, the Resistance has a plan to basically make an attack They need to distract Kylo Ren. So Rey offers herself up to be his distraction because she knows that he is obsessed with her in a uh, I need to murder you way. (laughs) So she does a tactical surrender title drop and um, gives herself up to him, um, goes on his ship and becomes his prisoner. And then this is me majorly summarizing the next 50,000 words of story. But basically um, they engage in a sexual relationship kind of semi-consensual, but then definitely consensual as it grows. Um, They develop affection for each other and admiration for each other, but like kind of all goes unsaid. Um, There's a bunch of politics going on in the background. And also the whole time Ray is lying to him about why she's there. She's obviously there so that the resistance can like pull off this epic sweeping, you know, destroy the empire move. And he thinks that she is there because she wants to be. And she does, but she doesn't. Ah, the romance. Um, So (laughs) the passage that I'm reading to give then again a context in the context is Kylo cannot stole any longer. He has to execute Rey. That's why he's got her as his prisoner. Um, So they're having like a last meal together. uh, And it's kind of really sad because neither of them want her to die. (laughs) They want to keep being together, obviously, because they're the perfect (laughs) ship. And they're having their last meal when... uh, you know, Ray takes a drink of this wine and she realized that it's poisoned and someone is trying to poison her. They were actually trying to poison Kylo Ren, but she's drunk it. Now she's dying. That's what's going on in this scene. So Chell, just so you know, I've decided to like very sadly not read the parts with Luke Skywalker. I love all of that. It's just too long for my podcast, really sadly. <laughs> That's um, fine. Although I, I regret it because I'm not going to get to hear you do like a Luke Skywalker voice. Uh, <laughs> you're not going to get me to hear me do a Kylo Ren either. It's going to be a very, <laughs> a very gentle Kylo Ren voice. Um, I could not make my voice as low as Adam Driver. So yeah, there's a whole passage in the middle of the section that I'm going to read that I've taken out. It's a back and forth between Ray and Luke in like an in-between life of them, him just giving her advice and consulting her on basically to just be fucking nice to Ben because... <laughs> The kid needs some TLC. But also because she she wants to be. I mean, yes. her her natural instinct is to be compassionate. And she has sort of hardened her heart to him. And she's now really struggling with that, I think, is, is also sort of what I was going for there. Is, you know, Ray, Ray's nature is to be sympathetic and to feel 
uh, for other people. And she's having a difficult time, obviously, because he's doing some pretty bad stuff. But there is still a part of her that wants to do that. And Luke was encouraging her just basically to feel what she is feeling. Uh, Thanks. Very helpful cryptic Jedi advice. Mm, That's the perfect way to put it. So that is a lot of context for what is now going to be just a bit of story, but um, (laughs) I'll explain why I wanted to read this part after I've read it. But this was like the part for me in the fic that I keyed into the most, I guess, is a way of saying it. So this is Tactical Surrender, chapter who knows what, because I've butchered the entire chapter format. She sees Kylo raising his own flute to his lips as if in half time. And without thinking, she holds out a hand and cries, Don't! The ensuing force push is so strong that the flute flies out of his fingers and shatters completely against the wall, rivulets of blue wine racing to the floor. He looks at her. She feels his confusion. It's genuine. Ray. Something's wrong, she says, and she looks past him to the attendant, only to catch a glimpse of some of fluttering purple robes as they flee into the passageway. Something... And then the poison, what must be poison, kicks in, acts fast. Ray feels it first in her calf muscles as numbness, weakness, which quickly travels up her body until it's impossible for her to keep upright in her chair. She folds over herself, falls onto her side on the floor, and then there's a tightness in her chest, and she thinks, no, no. She starts taking quick, noisy, panicked, shallow breaths, her mouth open, not unlike a fish stranded on the shore, or more hopelessly in the middle of a desert, baking alive and under the sun. Her arms are about as effective as fins on land. She can't move herself and can't speak for breathing, but breathing isn't working either. She can't, she can't, she can't breathe. She hears the scrape of chair legs and someone says her name, and then Kylo Ren is kneeling by her side, pulling her head up onto his knees, cupping her face with his gloved hands. She looks up at him, at his hair falling in his face, and the sheer horror in his eyes is like nothing she's ever seen from him before. No, he says. Ray, no. Ray. Focus. Bodies are machines like any other. She learned that setting her own broken bones as a child. The problem's mechanical, so diagnose the problem. Her chest isn't moving, and her lungs aren't inflating and deflating like they should. It's nearly impossible for her to centre herself through breathing when her breath won't come, But clumsily, she manages to reach out to the force, grasp it as though with shaking fingers and root some of it to her diaphragm, to the muscles in her ribs. She manages a slightly deeper inhale as her rib cage expands. How much time does she buy herself? A few seconds only. Her head spins. Ugh, all of that for me is just so, like, physical. It's so clear what's going on, and it just, like, eats my heart. Uh, Yeah, I, um... I wanted to bring in Ray's experience, uh, I mean, for most of her life as sort of a mechanic in that universe, right? As a scavenger, but also as someone who would repair machines and, you know, and barter with them. Um, and I think that she would sort of have a technical view of of everything, which makes it, um, which is good for me as a writer, because it means that you can really get into the details of what's going on with her physically. Uh, and I really wanted people to feel that. And I'm so glad you did. I was I was just like enraptured listening to you. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I really like it because I feel like it's a real testament to obviously Ray's character is someone who never gives up. She's a real fighter, but also to her um, her Jedi training, essentially, like in her in this part of the story that she's been a Jedi or at least training for a while. And she knows just not to freak out immediately. Like she's very composed and um, mm-hmm. 
I was doing a lot of yoga at this time. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> lots about breathing. Yeah, yeah, lots about breathing, lots about centering yourself. And um, although I, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how spiritual of a person I am, ex- especially in the sense, in the yoga sense, but um, I feel like that is sort of the closest to Jedi training that one gets in the real world. Breathing something you never have to think about. It's an automatic process. Your brain does it for you. The second you concentrate on it, it becomes harder. But Ray's brain and her muscles aren't speaking right now, so she has to do not only the thinking but the labour, all the while trying to keep hold of the force, which keeps slipping from her grip as though someone has coated it in oil. She can't keep doing this forever. There are stories in the sacred Jedi texts of Darksiders who have kept themselves alive on the strength of their anger alone. But Ray's not angry. Just surprised and alarmed and disappointed in herself for succumbing to something so rudimentary and maybe a little afraid. Ray looks up at Kylo as she manages another true inhale, although it's feebler this time. When she thought about her death, this is not how she imagined it. True, during a war it's futile to think about growing old, and in some versions of her premature passing he's there with her. That aligns with her expectations. But when he's there, he's the death of her. It's never something completely unrelated that takes her out. It's him, or more often the pair of them together, pressed against each other on the ground with identical smouldering wounds, ushering each other to the final rest. Light for dark. Balance. She thought she'd get to see her friends and her pupils again before the end. She wishes she could tell Kylo to tell Finn she's sorry, because she truly is. Deeply sorry that she won't get to come back to him like she said she would. There's no guarantee Kylo would pass that message along, and although she'd like to think that some desire to honour her might compel him, the chance is likely slim. It doesn't matter. Trying to get the words out would mean wasting another precious breath. Her vision is already darkening around the edges, and once she falls unconscious, that's it. That's all. It's over. Maybe she's glad Finn's not here to witness this. It's becoming an ungraceful and drawn-out way to die, as her breaths grow more staccato, as her lungs refuse to work every other time she tries compelling them, as she fights to stay awake, even though she can no longer feel the force. Yes, it's a mercy Finn's not here, but at least she's not alone. Her chest jerks off the ground, and she thinks she hears something snap, and there's pain, and she takes a delicious, gasping breath, and air floods her lungs like it's meant to. Her eyes focus on a hand, outstretched, trembling above her sternum, and she looks up and sees Kylo, his jaw clenched, eyes focused, as she arches off the ground again, and she gasps again, and his other hand is cradling her head, and he's saying, please, in that same soft way he did when he begged her to rule by his side as Snoke's throne room burned. Only this time it's worse. It's a thousand times worse, because his voice is so quiet and watery as he begs whatever is happening inside her to stop, as he begs her to stay alive. He's so pale, pale like moonlight, and he looks down at her with the face of a man whose entire galaxy is collapsing around him. And she knows now for certain that he could never have stomached killing her. He can't take the thought of her dead. They've circled each other for so long. Does he even know who he is without her? But it's not that. No, it is that, but it's not just that. Something else has to account for that expression, for the fear and the desperation he draws upon to keep pushing air into her lungs. For a second, a lightning flash, she can feel his mind with striking clarity, And it's obvious, it's been obvious all along. He can't lose her. He can't watch her go again. 
Her first rejection twisted his insides up into something thorny and ugly that only in the past couple of days, or only just in this moment, has begun to unknot. And she sees him within it laid bare. She sees that he had taken a devastating truth and he'd wrapped it in venom and obsession and vitriol because hurting is so much easier than being hurt. But she's dying now, and the wrapping falls away. In the shaking of his hand and the quiver of his lip and the way his breath too comes short, she sees what he's been hiding so desperately from her and from himself. And, oh, of course. But Ray is unable to make sense of this thought, and it slips away from her like the force had. She feels herself fading, even as her chest rises and falls for a third time. Over Kylo's shoulder, edged in blue, she thinks she sees Luke Skywalker, robed, solemn. He doesn't say anything, but Ray can clearly see the frown turning down the corners of his mouth, the crease in his brow. He looks so sad. Then Kylo turns her face back to his, his hand cupping her cheek, and he says, Ray. And the last thing she sees are his wide, dark eyes filled with terror, and the last thing she hears is her name falling from his lips like a prayer. I'm dead. Oh, <laughs> oh my god, it's so beautiful. <laughs> ah, did I write that? <laughs> yes, girl, you wrote that. What? Literally, like my body. <laughs> oh, it's so ow. good. <laughs> I. This is my first. I mean, this is a cold read. But the way you've written it is so, it's like a pacing. It's like a song. Like it's so well paced in the sentences that they just like come out with that kind of, I don't know, that kind of like really natural flow. And it's just like, it's really a nice thing to read out loud. Oh, thank you. I wish you could see my face. I'm just like, oh, I'm traumatized. Um, (laughs) The next bit, the best bit hasn't even happened yet. (laughs) I know. I, um. I always tell people that's my favorite part of the story. And uh, I think it's still true that it is my favorite part of the story. It's my favorite part too, 100%. That or, oh, I mean, the next part's not PG. But <laughs> that or <laughs> when, I think when they kind of like make love for the first time and he kind of like cries, oh, me. Yeah, you know he, you know he would. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's so Listen, true. I, we talk. We talk a lot about Adam Driver's excellent acting, and uh, he spends so much of both movies looking like he's completely on the verge of tears. I, I mean, know. It's, it's no wonder he wears a mask. My crybaby, cry. He is a crybaby. We know that. Yeah. Okay. I'm still. There's more. I'm gonna read the next half of it. The first thing she notices about being alive is how heavy it is to be tethered to a body. She hadn't realized how freeing it felt not to have a physical anchor weighing her down subject to the ship's artificial gravity pressing her against what feels like a mattress pad. The second thing she notices is the pain. There's the dull ache of her muscles and a sharper, less familiar pain in her chest that surges with every breath she takes. But she is breathing. She blinks her eyes open slowly. She's laying on her side with her arms in front of her, one hand upturned, and her knees slightly curled in as if she'd just been sleeping. She wears a paper-thin gown and there's a sensor attached to her wrist, presumably measuring her pulse. Screens crowd around the cot that she can't make sense of right now. The room is white, sanitised, and mostly empty but for the displays. A nightstand with drawers, two chairs, one of which has been pulled close to her side. That's the chair he's in, of course. At first she thinks he's asleep because of how he slumps over himself, but she sees the glint of his eyes through his lashes and realises they're just downcast as he watches her chest rise and fall. His hair falls over his face, thoroughly unkempt, 
She sees his gloves and his cape and his tunic resting forgotten on the other chair and becomes aware that he shed his outer layers while sitting up with her. One of his bare hands presses into the mattress near her upturned one, shying just away from touching it. She doubts he slept at all, and as she thinks that, she does feel pity, and she feels gratitude, and a couple of other things that she can't put a name to right now. When he sees her open her eyes, he says, Ray, in a low, husky rumble, and this time it's not a plea, but a sigh of relief. What? She begins, but finds her throat sore, and her voice hoarse and raspy. He shakes his head. Talking might be difficult. They had to put a tube... He stops, briefly overcome. They had to put a tube down your throat. She nods, and she presses up onto her hands to try to sit up. There's that surge of pain again. She winces, and he reaches out with the hand not planted on the mattress to help her, but stops himself short, as if he's not sure that's what she wants. You have two broken ribs, he says. A to treatment should heal them. Those... Those are from me. I was careless when I... Ray shakes her head. Gradually, moving with slow and directed intent, she's able to arrange herself in something like a seated posture, leaning heavily on the two pillows she's been given. His eyes track her face, but the rest of him stays still. I'm sorry, he says. She shakes her head again. Sorry to have hurt you, and sorry that because of me you were put in a position where... In this position, he swallows... The poison had no anecdote. It needed to pass through your system on its own. So a ventilator had to breathe for you. His voice shakes as though he can hardly bear to articulate it. For hours. She looks at him, at his bowed head. You breathed for me, she whispers back. He exhales. Ray glances at his hand on the mattress, placed near her but not close enough to touch her skin, and she covers it with her own. And then she does something she promised she wouldn't do again, or at least not for a very long time. Something of immeasurable significance. Something she told herself he needed to earn, and that perhaps in saving her life, he has. She says his name. His real name. Ben. He picks up his head to look at her, eyes wide, seemingly at a loss for words. She leans toward him, but she can't move very far without aggravating the pain in her chest, so he closes the gap between them, and they kiss. One time... Ray watched a star go supernova. Poe had organised the viewing party. He has a not-so-secret love for astronomy, and will talk your ear off about it if you get him started, as he had talked up this event for weeks before it happened. This nameless star was in their galaxy, only tens of thousands of light-years away from Akiva, he'd said, and they would have a clear view of its final moments, written in history millennia ago but only visible on this planet now. So when the time came, Ray, Finn, Rose, Poe, Connix and a half dozen of Poe's pilot cohort had climbed on top of the Vigilance's communications tower, sat on blankets, passed ale around and waited, taking turns squinting up at the night sky through special monoculars that would enlarge the dying star hundreds of times, yet keep them from going blind as they looked directly at the event. The first whoop of discovery came from one of the pilots, who spotted activity on the star's surface as it withered and wrestled with itself, as it failed to hold its shape and they all got their monoculars up in time to see the shock break out, the brilliant flash of energy as the shockwave from the star's collapsing core reached its surface. Magnified by the monocular lens, the flash monopolised Ray's entire field of vision and she'd gasped, leaned back, and then laughed her at the wonder of it all, how rare a thing it was to witness, much less witness with her insides warmed by alcohol and her heart warmed by company. The others had gasped too, similarly overcome, then grinned at each other and looked back out into space. 
They all stayed up there for hours. Long after the shock breakout faded and the supernova darkened, then grew brighter than before, and brighter even than that, until they didn't need monoculars anymore to see the full spectacle. For weeks it remained the brightest object in the sky, visible even during the day. For weeks, Ray looked up and remembered how all her friends had smiled, transfixed by it, as time stood still. The way she felt that night, the unmatched lightness and simplicity, coupled with the way that dying star must have felt as it broke through its borders in a dazzling burst of white, resolved, then grew more radiant than ever before, transcending itself to become something more beautiful. That's the only language Ray knows to describe how this kiss feels. At first it's uncomplicated, just closed eyes and closed mouths. Then he makes a small helpless sound and parts his lips and she parts hers and they kiss. She presses into him as best she can and he tilts his head to the side so that their faces fit together more easily and they kiss. She brings the hand not on his hand up to his shoulder to stabilize herself and he brings his up to cup her cheek and they kiss. It's their first kiss that's neither a prologue nor epilogue for sex, but something else entirely, completely removed from it. It's so strangely liberating, and it lasts for minutes, with only the briefest interruptions as they pull apart, breathe, and find each other again. The door hisses open across the room, and a woman says, Supreme Leader, oh! Ray and Kylo separate hastily. When she turns her head to look towards the speaker, a doctor in medical uniform, he's still holding her face with his large, warm hand, and his nose is scant a few inches away from hers. What? says Kylo, and while it would ordinarily be barked or snapped, it said softly, although not without some irritation. The Bacta tank has been prepared, says the doctor, who keeps her eyes averted, if the patient is ready for her immersion. Patient, Ray notes, not prisoner. She wonders just who she is to these people. She assumed that word had gotten out of the woman staying in Kylo Ren's chambers, but to what end their actual relationship had been publicised was unclear. She opens her mouth to speak, but her throat is still hoarse, so she just nods. She pushes off her hands to ease herself towards the edge of the cot when she feels Kylo wrap an arm around her waist. I can stand, she whispers, bristling a bit even now at having to depend on him. I know you can, he says simply. But you don't have to. It's the acknowledgement of her capability, even more than the fact that she genuinely is in pain that sways her. She nods again and drapes one arm over his shoulder as he pushes the covers back and gets his other arm under her bare knees. He lifts her off the cot as though she weighs nothing at all, and she looks up at him as he adjusts his hold on her a bit, surprised at how comfortable she feels in his arms. Out of the corner of her eye, Ray sees the doctor turn and leave the doorway. When she's gone, Kylo tilts his head and kisses Ray again, a brief kiss that stands in for all of the things she feels from him through their forced bond that he will not, or cannot, say aloud. He carries her out of the recovery room with a gentleness she did not know he had left within him. End chapter, end my life, <laughs> end story. <laughs> ah, oh God, I've forgotten how, I mean, so the passage with the supernova is, I mean, remains one that I really like to this day, but I forgot how romantic some of that dialogue was. Oh, you breathed for me? Ah! <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just, I always really loved the visual of him like leaning over her and you like with his hand over the chest, like, like pushing air in and out of her chest. I always felt like it was a really like intimate, romantic, devastating thing to do for someone. 
Yeah. Have you have you seen the art of that? No, no. I, I don't really look at fan art that much. I know it's always at the kind of like start and end of people's chapters, but you have to send it to me. I haven't seen I will, it. Yeah, I will send it to you. Um, I I, uh, I commissioned the, the scene from one of my friends, but uh, someone else also did some really fantastic art. I'll send you both of them. They're amazing. Um, I, I feel very lucky. Yeah. I, I picked this passage because I the, the bit where they kiss, I am a real sucker for repetition. And I think the kind of the repeating of the line and then they kiss just really like it's just so soft and really, really beautiful. And, um, you know, I would classify tactical surrender as a slow burn, even though they do like relatively quickly start having sex. I think the emotion of it is definitely a slow burn. Every fig that's a slow burn. I mean, every story, right, books, but especially I feel like in fan fiction, the tension is heightened there's there's the precipice there's like the moment where they jump from being friends to lovers or you know whatever it is and you know when it's a slow slow burn fig it takes a really long time and then you get you get the the little passage the little sweet spot where the author gives it to you and I feel like this is the moment in that fic where you really give it to the reader you really kind of hand them like these people are in love and here it is (sighs) yeah wow it's been so long since I revisited this chapter. It really, I'm just, I'm, I'm think. first of all, thank you. Second of all, I'm, I'm just really impressed with it, how nice it sounds read aloud uh, by you and how well it seems to hold up even after all this time. Yeah. How do you, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Like it's been a while since you've written it. And then now, you know, as you've said, since you've read it. So does it make you feel like you want to keep writing Tactical Alliance? <laughs> This is my secret agenda all along. <laughs> I'm in the middle of planning a different fic, but I, I hope to come back to Tactical Alliance. I really do. Um, and if not, and 100%, and if not, I've uh, promised, I think, that I will post uh, the outline for it so at least people know what would have happened. Does it make you feel like, like you said, it's, it's quite a good piece of writing. Does it make you feel like you've since improved or has your writing ch- style changed or the actual content how does it make you like what do you think about your own sort of work there well I really like it (laughs) I I it's funny because when you were reading um the poison passage I just and she was talking about her breathing I was reminded of like a line from something I'd written more recently that also is uh about breathing and I think that there is I, I mean, I think I am preoccupied with breathing a lot, but I also think that it's so reflective of just the general st- emotional state of character is in that why wouldn't you be, you know? So it was interesting to to sort of see that come back around thematically. I really liked the repetition of And They Kiss. I forgot that that was there, and I am uh, really impressed with my past self for that. Especially because I... prior to this moment in the fic, they've done a lot of, like you say in that passage, they've had a lot of sex, they've done a lot of kissing, but not like this and for you to convey the emotional weight behind that kiss that's what that passage does yeah you managed to make it feel like a whole new experience for them even though they've been literally like from the day she arrives they start like <laughs> having sex and fucking around but it feels like like you know the first time it's so good yeah. and that was the that was the point because as you said um tactical surrender i would also qualify it as a slow burn but um but an emotional slow burn um where the physical, you know, if you want to read it for the physical, then you you won't walk away disappointed at all. But I feel like in a lot of fics, and not all, I feel like this is less common 
especially for Raylo fix after The Last Jedi. But in a lot of fics, the first physical interaction like that is the culmination, uh, is tied into the emotional realization. And for Tactical Surrender, I was very deliberately trying to separate the two things because you have two people here who physically work very well together, whether they're fighting each other or they're fighting side by side or they're actually, or they're dancing or they're actually having sex. Um, But just because they're on that page doesn't mean that they're on the same emotional page. And I wanted, I wanted them to be brought to the moment where they would be uh, unified and they were here. And of course uh, they were here in ways that they can't be always. Um, Ray sort of spends the next couple of days that she's with him living in a sort of fantasy world where they are aligned in purpose. That's not the real world. And of course she, uh, she is deceiving him. So they can't be on that page completely all the time realistically but here they are and you know it's possible and you know they can do it again and i think that gives you a lot of hope for them or at least it does for me well yeah that's that's what i really liked when i started to read uh tactical surrender is sort of the first time that they um have sex or that he tries to have sex with her he's like it's it's like another part of their fight them fighting it's like another version of them it's like a light lightsaber duel like he's sort of like i need to win you if it's a physical win, then I'll dominate you physically. Or I need to win you because you want me. That's another kind of winning you. But I don't want you to just sit there and take it. Like, it has to be a battle and I have to win somehow, either by force or by, you know, a, by emotion. Which, I mean, problematic. Kylo Ren's a troubled person. But <laughs> <laughs> call out post Kylo Ren. Kill his dad. But besides, wow. put all that aside from a character perspective, I think it's it's really keeping with their characters. And Ray is a person who has had a tough physical life growing up in the desert, you know, very lonely, very tough, very strong, all of those things. I feel like physicality for her and, and sex for her would just like not be as big of a deal as other fan fictions make it to be for her. She's always a virgin in these fan in fan fiction, which is fine. Like, I'm sure she is. It's irrelevant even. But I feel like, yeah, for her, like you know having someone have sex with her she'd just be like all right it's just another part of this thing i have to do which is kind of how she just like takes it on her shoulder like i really like the first time she they have sex she's just like can you like chill out slow down like (laughs) she's she takes it pretty well like she's not that bothered by it well but the emotional stuff bothers her way more yeah she and it's funny because i think that uh part of that ray is a character i really really liked to write and i really like to write her uh I mean, especially in TS for this, because she lies to herself. This is a well-established fact in canon. It was sort of like one of the linchpins of The Last Jedi is just that Rey has been lying to herself for years about her parents. But she has to. Uh, She's a character who has to lie to herself because that's how she survives. And part of the deal with Rey and sex and tactical surrender is that she's kind of right about what kind of a deal it will be for her in that like, oh, it's just a physical thing that happens. Many physical things have happened to me over the course of my life. I'll be able to handle this physical thing just fine. And she strongly discounts the um, emotional component that there is to sex. And so both of those things are, are true. She both handles it well and she handles it not very well at all because in the next chapter, she cries in the shower. And that's very sad. And I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, Poe in particular is so worried about her in the early chapters because she's shouldering it with her attitude of, oh, this is just a, this is just a thing that uh, is an experience that I will have. And Poe is like, Poe who has had sex in his life 
uh, is like, ah, mm, ah. Especially because in this chapter, the, the the bit I just read, we you see her really refer to her body as just another tool. Like she's talking about you know, your body is a machine and it's just you just go through the motions. You, you fix it if it's broken. So, yeah, that is how she approaches uh, physical interactions and altercations and fighting. So it makes sense that, yeah, she would kind of approach sex with a bit of nonchalance, even though you know she's nervous and all of that. But, yeah, yeah. And then kind of tying that back into then her being emotionally damaged in in a way that isn't physical um, is very in keeping with her character and definitely Kylo Ren's character obviously he can take pain I think physical pain is like nothing for him but anything slightly even a little bit emotional he's like count me out I'm, I'm out of here <laughs> <laughs> he's destroying the room uh, yeah <laughs> tearing it all down oh, um, I love him so much <laughs> Oh, I love him so much. He's such a fascinating character. And the, just this week, which will, I guess, date this interview, but just this week they released, they being Star Wars, Star Wars put out a comic showing how he was trained, read abused at the hands of Snoke. Um, and we know from other pieces of Star Wars canon that dark side training tends to involve a lot of abuse. But it's really no surprise that he, uh, because he's never been able to heal from a lot of sources of trauma in his life. He doesn't particularly handle emotional challenges very well. That's, I think, part of the thing with Kylo Ren is that you want to believe that people can um, can get better uh, and find healing and uh, make good on their wrongs. This, this became a much broader meta-commentary on Star Wars, but uh, I do believe that. So, Well, especially because I, like when his character was introduced in um the force awakens um he's sort of the first dark sider ever to express oh i feel it again the cold of the light and mm-hmm. i remember everyone kind of freaking out about how that was really interesting and they've never done this and it it is great i think it was like a very genius move on their part to kind of give you a baddie who is trying really hard to fight the good instead of you know an anakin or a luke or um, even like a Han Solo who's trying to be good when, you know, they've got the badness calling to them, the dark side calling to yeah. them. So it's a really interesting interesting role reversal. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm so excited for The Rise of Skywalker to see what they do with him. I know. I, and I love that one line in The Force Awakens um, where Snoke is talking to him about confronting his father, Han Solo, and Kylo Ren says, uh, by the grace of your training, I will not be seduced. And this is the first time anyone has ever, like, as as you said, but even more so, anyone has ever spoken about the light as seductive. And I think by The Last Jedi, we can see that he is, in fact, very easily seduced by the light. Like, Rey just, you know, manifests before him, and he's like, oh, God, she's, wow. And then there's, like, water appearing on his glove and, like, all this, like, crazy sexual imagery in The Last Jedi. I can't uh, believe The Last Jedi happened. I'm, like, when that when I saw that movie, I just was so happy. <laughs> no, I really, okay. I didn't think they were going to do it or do that. And it just, I found it so refreshing. I know there's a lot of mixed opinions about The Last Jedi, but. It's okay. You're safe here. It's my favorite Star Wars movie. And I know that that's sacrilege in some circles, but I'm just going to come out. I feel like I'm safe here. So I'm going to come out. Oh, you're definitely safe here. I mean, I love, I love The Last Jedi. I saw The Last Jedi, did the exact same thing as you. I went home and started writing a fan fiction. And then I, you know, a couple days passed and I was seeing all these negative reviews of the film saying that it was really stupid and bad and would ruin Star Wars, blah, blah, blah. 
And I got so shook up that I thought I'm just gonna, I need to see it again to make sure I'm not like I wasn't just sucked into the excitement of seeing a new Star Wars because, you know, I went and saw the midnight session and um, I thought maybe I was just like overwhelmed by the joy of seeing a new Star Wars movie. Maybe it's really bad and I need to see it again. I went on like a Wednesday morning at like 11 a.m. by myself <laughs> to watch The Last Jedi and sat through the whole film and I was like, no, I'm right. This is a fucking <laughs> awesome movie. Like I was not wrong. <laughs> Yeah, and there was all these people around me, whoever, you know, the other weirdos who go to a movie at 11 o'clock on a Wednesday, and they were all really liking it. And I was like, no, just some people are just being dicks. Like, this is easily a really good movie. There are definitely parts of it that are silly, but everything to do with Kylo Ren and Rey together and separately is 100%. It's perfect. Uh, It's so good. Um, And even a lot. So I saw this movie five times in theaters. Uh, Never alone, though. I, I probably should have gone alone once, but um, I I was just so taken by it. And yeah, I saw it in IMAX with friends. Uh, I saw it on my birthday. <laughs> Pretty much any excuse to go to The Last Jedi, I went back to The Last Jedi. I don't um, typically um, will see a movie more than once in the theaters. Like, just, I don't do it unless I've got like a free ticket or something, but I really wanted to see The Last Jedi again. I do, I do see movies very frequently on my own because mm-hmm. I just like to be not bothered by <laughs> or have someone yeah, else's opinion yeah. rub off on you when you kind of walk out the cinema and you you do your back and forth thing and then sometimes you get a bit like you know influenced by what they thought so I just kind of like to delve in my own um but yeah it's nice seeing movies alone there was another um, passage in the in the fic I wanted to talk about as well I yeah the, the passage with the supernova um I'm really glad you put that in there because obviously Ray is really far away from all of these people who are so important to her in the canon and in most fan fictions. And I feel like you did a really nice job of expressing, like we've all had those kind of nights with our friends where everything is just really perfect and you all feel really connected and it's really special and no one wants to be the person to say, maybe we should go inside and go to sleep or maybe we should go home. Like, I feel like, you know, if you have a good set of friends, if you're lucky enough to have those kind of special people in your life, you've experienced that one night. And I feel like you captured that really nicely. I just, it made me think of all the times, all the silly things I've done with my friends in the middle of the night or, you know, when we've been getting up to no good. And it was really like, it was a really warm feeling reading that passage. Thank you so much. I feel that way about it too. And I think it's particularly important to Ray because she's a person who went through most of her life friendless. So she would really, really value those experiences. And I also really wanted to put the first real kiss, as I think of it, in terms and experiences that Ray would have reference for. And that's something I tried to be cognizant of throughout the fic. There's that little line in, you know, when she's struggling to breathe, where she talks about, uh, you know, being a fish on the shore or in the desert, you know, baking under the sun. And how many years of Ray's life did she spend in the desert baking under the sun? So that was that was where that was part of uh, what went into that passage was just a desire to capture a desire to capture the way that Ray would think of this experience and what in her life she would have to compare to. And in the movies, we don't see a lot of purely happy moments in her life. We don't see those moments of elation very much. But since this is a few years after um, after The Last Jedi and she's become integrated with this resistance with her found family in a way she has had experiences of warmth and love to to fall back on and she values them and cherishes them and that that is how 
she values and cherishes this experience. Obviously, it's romantic, which is different. But honestly, so many different relationships are important in our lives that, you know, it's all it's all part of the equation in a in a weird way. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it, it, it also like you've sort of already explained, it then puts it in context of this is um, a really positive moment. This is a light side moment. This is a resistance moment. Like it's a moment of has nothing to do with anything bad. It's a very good moment. Like by comparing that yeah. to that kind of golden sunset feeling of being with your friends and being drunk and laughing and feeling so accepted and then having that be like, that's what this is like with this man and this is how we, we feel right now. And yeah, to, to yeah, get that. With this man who yesterday was threatening to have me publicly executed <laughs> my life and i have realized that i just need to accept that i have feelings for this dumbass <laughs> and in accepting it i feel peace yeah which is what you get more in the luke section that we didn't read there so just in case it wasn't totally clear after she kind of like passes out in kylo's arms there's then a whole nother passage between her and luke skywalker that goes for a while about them discussing yeah her emotions and how to accept them and how to treat Ben and you know his failures and her failures failures sorry Luke Skywalker's failures um, and then she comes back into her own body so such a shame that I couldn't read it but you should definitely go check it out yeah it's all right it's long yeah I do regret not hearing your Mark Hamill impersonation but I think I <laughs> did you like my Kylo I was trying to be like a bit of Ray <laughs> I did you were doing the thing that I was I was kind of hoping you would do because that's one of the reasons I saw The Last Jedi so many times obviously I couldn't see it on Netflix or on demand um when it was still in theaters and his diction is so weird I know um, he talks so weirdly he's he's so and and I it's very strained um and I'm fascinated by it, but I'm a, as a writer, I hear things. And I, I don't mean that I like literally hear, I, and my brain <laughs> does the thing where it sort of simulates hearing something, but um, you know, you'll get people who are very visual writers and then you'll get people who are very uh, sort of focused on the inner lives of their characters and, and maybe struggle more with the description of their outside surroundings. And you get all types of writers and for me, I really like to hear character voices. And if I can't hear them, then I'll feel like I've sort of lost the thread a little bit. And obviously this uh, applies to fanfic. It applies to original writing, but it applies a lot to fanfic. And I especially uh, like, um, I mean, personally, and you do it well, I, I love writing dialogue. Yeah, I watched a clip uh, from The Last Jedi yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. Just a clip from when, because uh, I've been watching, you know, the Kylo Ray clips over and over because as Phil mentioned, Raylo trash and I could watch those clips all day but I thought I, and then I remember that there's that amazing scene with Luke and Kylo at the end when they fight and they have a little back and forth talking and I was watching it yesterday and you know Luke says oh, I'm sorry Ben and he just spits back in his face he's like I'm sure that you are and the way that he's the way that he says it is like such a big baby like he's so petulant like a child and like stubborn and scathing like there's so much in the way that he talks, he talks like no one else in Star Wars, I think. Like, he's got um, yeah. just this bite in his voice, the way that he phrases and, like, moves. Like, he just has, like, a really, really unique voice. Because everyone in Star Wars, like, the Star Wars dialogue is obviously very grand and can be very sweeping and very, like, you know, be one mm-hmm. with the Force and this is your path. And it's very, like, you know, it's operatic because it's, like, a space opera or whatever. It's very dramatic. And then I feel mm-hmm. like you get... 
Kylo Ren in there going like, no, you're, you're still holding on, like getting all mad. And <laughs> yeah, I um, whenever I think about Kylo's dialogue, I think about um, let the past die, kill it if you have to. That's the only way that you'll become who you were meant to be. Uh, because that is, those are really sort of sweeping Star Wars-y concepts, distilled into mostly one-syllable words. And that's how I like to think about writing Kylo Ren, is he's, uh, he's not stupid. He's a no, oh my god, no, no, he's not he stupid. I would... thoughts, he's just, uh, he doesn't have any common sense. <laughs> he's just very emotional. Like, he's just a, he's a very, yeah. very emotional person. Um, and sometimes the characters in Star Wars can come off as being a little disjointed maybe from their emotions because especially like the Jedi, especially mm. in the prequels, they're all pretty like wish-wash because mm-hmm. that's kind of what their thing is. And then, you know, Darth Vader is very composed a lot of the time. And like, you don't get these like, he, cause he has all these like, you know, literally outbursts where he just like smashes around his saber and crushes his helmet and chokes people. And like, he's, he just reacts really fast. He gets really upset but it, grounded within all that is kind of like this really nice idea of, you know, his his character being, yeah, I think his character is extremely smart and just gets kind of swept up. He can't help but get upset. He can't help but want to chase Ray and he can't help but try and convince her to join his side. Like, because yeah, his yeah. feelings are so strong, he just like has to turn up. So I think the easiest character to write dialogue wise was probably Poe and the hardest one to write dialogue wise was probably Kylo. And at one point, I was uh, actually like recording myself saying the dialogue that I was writing for Kylo and trying to do like a really bad Adam Driver impersonation just to get it to sound right. And it, I think that ultimately worked, but it did fe- it felt very silly. So yeah, with the fig, obviously, as I mentioned before, it was uh, it was popular. It, it had a really good uh, following and response. Were you finding it all along the way as it was, you know, people were commenting and following and giving you feedback and stuff? Did that affect your process at all when you were writing? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I told you about how I uh, left out the big reveal in the outline and then someone was like, oh, I can't wait for the big reveal. It's going to be devastating. And I was like, ah, sure will. Uh, and I had to put that back in. I think there were some smaller things around the way too that if I was getting feedback from the readers that, they didn't understand. Usually uh, something about Ray would frustrate them. Um, and then I would try extra hard in the next chapter to make the way that she was thinking and feeling about situations in her life very, very clear. It didn't really affect the outcome of the story uh, and it didn't really affect the events of the story. I would say it's more in those little moments that I would try to build in just in order to anticipate what people might be um not picking up on, if that makes any sense, or that I wanted them to pick up on that somehow wasn't coming across. Do you feel like it added any pressure on you to write the story? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. I have been involved in fan fiction projects uh, in previous fandoms where I have had an audience, um, but I don't think I've ever had an audience quite like this. And yeah, of course you want, I mean, a lot of it was just sort of like logistically, you want to be able to get your updates out on time, which I wasn't always able to do. I think there was uh, a time in the middle of the fic where I took about three weeks off. But you were striving to update weekly? Was that your plan? Oh, yeah. I was updating. I was trying to update every Thursday. Wow, that's amazing. I just don't work like that at all. Like, I'm so impressed that you were <laughs> able to stick to that for so long. 
It's a good motivator. Yeah, I I mean, it became more irregular toward the end, and especially after, um, after I caught up with my buffer. I kind of had to, I felt, because that's how I kept the momentum going. There was now sort of a deadline that I had, imp- that was self-imposed and, like, potentially was adjustable. One of the ways to... Um, this is going to sound very Slytherin. I'm not a Slytherin, um, but I am. So tread with tread carefully. I'm a Slytherin. Oh no, this isn't. I, I didn't mean this in a bad way. But one of the ways to um, to hook an audience to your fic is update consistency. If they can expect you to be updating once a week or twice a week, and they know when to come back and check for updates, then you'll get a lot of people who are more willing to follow you on that journey. So. Uh, so I really, and I really wanted that for this fic because I was very proud of it. Uh, but it was also motivating to me to keep writing because otherwise I would miss my deadline and that would make people sad and I would be sad. So, so like, I I think it was ultimately very good for me, even though at some points it was definitely a struggle. Yeah. I've always just found whenever I've gotten any sort of small response, um, I did one fic for The Walking Dead that did pretty well for its ship. It was a small ship within like The Walking Dead's uh you know world or whatever um mm-hmm. but it did it did very well in its in its uh ship tag or whatever but yeah towards the end i was really over it like and i think part of like people wanting it actually made me want to do it less which is really dumb it definitely should be the opposite but i don't know what it was about it because i feel like fan fiction is a very and i think you might empathize with this it's very much born of passion you you get a very big like strike of I have to go and do this. I have to do it now. And you you start writing. And then, you know, unless you're planning ahead like yourself did and like many writers do, especially for a big fic, that kind of passion can trail off. The other thing about fan fiction is like, it's not your day job. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of the external motivational factors for completing a fanfic uh, that you would have um, for completing a novel, like just aren't there. Nobody's paying you for this. Which they can't, obvi- for obvious reasons. Uh, and I don't think that they should be, necessarily. I um, I have a... I keep calling them ko-fis. Some people just call them coffees. But uh, they're the accounts that allow people to, like, tip you for um, indeterminate reasons. And I had one of those, although I struggled with getting one for uh, a while. Is it like uh, a Patreon sort of thing? It, a little bit. It's more like someone, if they like you or your stuff can just like go and chuck a couple of bucks your way, but it's not a, it's not a subscriber model like Patreon. It it could, they could be for anything. Um, So it's not necessarily like being paid for fic in that sense. Yeah. Which would have, which would make me pretty uncomfortable. One of my betas typeset and got bound this really nice physical copy of Tactical Surrender. Oh, that's beautiful. Love that. Uh, it was so nice, but then um, she gave me the link so that I could order more if I wanted, and I did. Um, and originally, I was going to sell them to people at cost, but then I was like, you know what? I <laughs> no money, <laughs> no money anywhere. And I brought them to Star Wars Celebration, and I gave them to a bunch of people who expressed interest in them, or who had, who were my friends, or who had helped out along the way. Um, that was really nice. Yeah, uh, that's that's nice. I remember a couple years ago, a really really big Twilight fan fiction that I was into which was devastatingly long. It was over 800 pages. She, the author published, yeah, like a PDF version, mm-hmm. compiled like a novel and gave it out for free and said, hey, if you want to print this, if you want to have it as a book, here's a PDF, it's all formatted. This is how you print it. Here you go. 
and gave it out to people. Yeah, I know. It's it was really cool to hold the book in my hands too because I was like, oh my god, I wrote like you can see the number one hundred and fifty five thousand words. I always feel like things feel shorter when they're fanfic than when they're printed. Um, No, that's like a novel. (laughs) And and holding in my hands, I was like, I wrote a book. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy, especially because yeah, like you said, there's um, you write a fan fiction like you know, like I've said, yours has one hundred and fifty thousand hits plus the couple tens of thousands of hits on Tactical Alliance as well. Altogether, it's close to two hundred. And you know, you'll know this from working in the entertainment industry in Australia. The entertainment industry is it's very rough. Like there's not a lot of money. Um, it's really hard to get stuff made. Not like in the US, it's really really tough here and. Um, if you make like a web series or a short film or something, if you got 50,000 views on that, you'd be happy. You'd be like 50,000 views did well. (laughs) It's really good. Or if you're, you know, if every episode of your show had, uh, 30,000 views and you had four episodes or, you know, whatever it is, like the numbers that we're talking about here would be impressive for a lot of people. Like if you sold, if you sold a hundred thousand copies of a book, I know it's not the same because fan fiction is free and you wouldn't sell a hundred thousand copies, but Let's say you sold half of that amount. Let's say you sold 50,000 copies of a book. It's like a huge achievement. That would be a massive deal. When you do it with fan fiction, um, it's really rewarding for yourself. But yeah, there's nothing like you can really, you can't put it on your resume. I mean, unless you do, unless you can, I don't know. But I haven't heard of people putting on their resumes or something like that. No, I mean, I think it really depends on who you're going to be talking to. Uh, I ran a Tumblr blog at one point that had a lot of followers and I put that on my resume and it got me an internship. That was cool, uh, but I've never done that since. The big, the big thing I kept trying to do uh, until it became a little bit overwhelming was to think about uh, every kudos because uh, you can't leave more than one kudos on a on a fanfic. Is one person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One kudos, one person. Yeah, that's one person who liked your story enough to click like on it, and then. Um, subscribers which is you know is like a private metric that people can't see but i remember looking at the subscriber count and just being like oh my god like there are more people subscribed to this story than i went to high school with yeah i feel exactly the same like i was in high school when i was writing i guess quote unquote my best fan fiction my most popular fan fiction and nobody knew and i had like this whole little community online who were like we love your writing and you should do writing and fan fiction is the reason why I've ended up where I am because I ended up doing a writing degree that led me to film and television and blah, blah, blah on it goes. So I think for a lot of people out there, fan fiction does sort of set them on this career path. I don't know if it was sort of similar for yourself. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was. I, um, initially I also ended up doing a writing degree, but kind of by accident. My, uh, first I did two majors and my first one was actually media studies because of this, because I started looking at, the media studies classes at my university. And I was like, oh, I can, I can study this stuff that <laughs> yeah. I do for fun yeah. <laughs> on the internet, but it's for school? <laughs> I that. So yeah, so that's kind of how I ended up where I am too. Um, also positioned in entertainment because, because of all of this, because I learned that I could in fact dive deeply into the things that I love and do for a hobby and have that be relevant to my actual real life and that was a really cool uh, revelation for me is there anything else you'd like to say about tactical surrender uh 
it's it's good. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> it is very thing, good. <laughs> the thing that I think's made me happiest about um, the reception to TS, and a lot of it, there have just been a lot of people who've been really kind. Uh, people have done a lot of really wonderful art, and just uh, anytime anyone recommends it, like I get another pair of wings, and I have so many wings now. Um, some of my favorite responses have been from the people who are either like. I didn't like Star Wars or I didn't like Raylo, but I found your story and I get it now. Oh, um, kill me. That's the that's best. That's so powerful. That's yeah. what I want. I want I want people to fall in love with these guys the way that I fell in love with these guys when I saw The Last Jedi. And I know that The Last Jedi wasn't enough for some people, but if my fake can kind of help get them there, then I'm thrilled. And since I started writing for a different fandom... Uh, I've gotten more of that because I've gotten people coming from the story I wrote for that and then bouncing onto TS and being like, oh, Star Wars is sexy. Uh, <laughs> Star Wars is oh, very yeah. sexy, especially The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi, very sexy. <laughs> oh, gosh. We could go on much smarter people than I have written like 10,000 word metas on all of the sexual imagery in The Last Jedi. Uh, and there's a lot. And... Uh, I would encourage rewatching it through that lens because you'll be like, oh, this is a coming of age story. Oh, this is a coming of age story. <laughs> yeah, I I totally agree. I watched it uh, maybe three weeks ago. Just felt like it. Um, yeah, and the whole time I was like, my, oh, my, I am flustered. <laughs> oh, the vapors, yeah. It's funny because I think um, – Obviously, Kylo Ren taking off his shirt was a big deal because Star Wars sort of like has that slightly puritanical bent that a lot of American media does. Uh, but really what like was astounding to me was when he takes off his glove. I, too, had the vapors at that moment. I was like, hands touching? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I know. Especially yeah, because in The Force Awakens, he is so covered all the like you see so little of his skin and then in this movie yeah besides the shirtless scene i mean the shirtless scene kind of gets played for a laugh i feel like like the first time you see it you're meant to be like he's shirtless she's uncomfortable but then they just kind of like really linger there and which like zero complaints mm-hmm. because it's adam driver but yeah they kind of like linger in that space and she's like you know like oh my god this is so blatantly a romantic it's meant to be sexual like you cannot mis you can't read it any other way. Like oh, a young yeah. girl being and blushing at a man being shirtless, like it's ugh. <laughs> Well, it's not only that, but after they have that very difficult conversation where she uh learns an uncomfortable truth, but also also he is shirtless the whole time, the first thing she does is go to what um what I call uh slippery cave diving. Um, and what other people call the vagina cave on Octo, the dark side cave that gushes water and calls to Ray, and she just falls right in there into yeah. the cave, <laughs> into the slippery cave. That's where she goes. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a, a lot. lot. Yeah, Christ. Yeah, when he takes his gloves off, that's oh, the the one glove. Yeah. Oh, uh, he he just he gets so physically and emotionally vulnerable with her. And then, uh, not that Ray is Ray is completely justified in rejecting his plea that she rule the galaxy with him. Uh, what I loved most about that scene, I mean, that scene is it's incredible. It's like one of the top 
five Star Wars moments of all time yeah. when they obviously fight back to back. It feels like such a relief when they start fighting together because for me it felt like this is this is what they do. Like they fight and when they fight each other, it's beautiful. But now fighting together, it just feels like these are what these two bodies are meant to do is fight side by side. And they have this beautiful yeah, yeah. sweeping fight and it's great. And then when he, you know, puts, you know, please, you know, join me, a little part of me was like, she's going to do it. And I think to <laughs> to make you think that way in a Star Wars film where the good people are good and the bad people are bad and the lead character would never join the dark side. But for one beat, I was like, oh, my God, she's going to join him. I don't think I wasn't. And it wasn't in like a way where it was like she's now going to be uh, a dark side user. Uh-huh. But I thought she would stay with him and maybe try and fix it from the inside or something. But there was a moment where I was like, oh, she's going to do it. And then when she doesn't, it's even worse. Like, it's just uh, <laughs> such, yeah. so well played oh, out. It's, it's, de- it's devastating, honestly. And again, Ray is completely in, completely in the right for rejecting him. Totally, um, 100%. But oh, oh, it's just so it's so sad. And she's really struggling with it, too. You can tell. Yeah. Oh, I just want them to be I just want them to be happy. I know. And then their last look with each other when he's in the the base and she's on the Millennium Falcon, her looking down on him and him looking up like mm-hmm. that simple power dynamic of now he's really at his lowest and yeah. she's kind of rising above it. I feel like he knows that he fucked up. Like that look on his face mm-hmm. is like, shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have said mm-hmm. it. It's all too late. It's all over. It's really all over. And you're like, oh, God damn you, Ben Solo. <laughs> why yeah, are you going to play it like this? Why do you have to go and Ben Solo it up again? My goodness. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I just love them. And I, I love that Ray walks away from him. I think that teaches a really important lesson. You can't fix people, but you can leave it to them to fix themselves. And you can be there for them when they do. There's a lot of criticism about the Ray-Kylo dynamic that I've seen. And that my, some of my friends feel as well is that it's not her job to fix him. And I totally agree. It is not. And I feel like she's not going to give that up. Like, she's not going to be like, oh. But if he decides to fix himself, I think she'll be there. Yes, she's there for it. Oh, honey, she's there for it. She, <laughs> she wants him to fix himself for sure. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I wanted to also make clear uh, during that scene with Luke that we skipped, that it wasn't her job to fix him but that she shouldn't deny her natural instincts toward compassion, even though she is doing her best to protect herself because she's not comfortable with being in love with him. And it's just, you know, it would be really hard for, it's it would be really hard for someone like Ray, especially with what I assume are going to be a lot of the expectations pl- placed upon her as the last Jedi to have that connection with someone like Kylo Ren. Um, I think that's going to be very difficult for her. And I think it's notable, and again, smarter people than I, uh, are the ones who pointed this out but that you know that little scar that she got in the last jedi uh of the two hands reaching that's on her upper arm she's covered it up in all of the shots we see of the rise of skywalker um she's got a little leather cuff that she's wearing over it and i think that the moment that that comes off is is going to be when something really profound happens uh in her acknowledgement of their connection yeah i cannot wait to see how they uh navigate the two of their characters everything i've seen so far leads me to believe that it'll be juicy and that they're not going to retcon any of what happened in the last jedi yeah. i'm so I'm perfect. this winter is going to be absolutely devastating for me and i i am here for it personally <laughs> yeah fuck me up like i'm ready like let's i'm ready yeah, let's this, do it. yeah. this book series that i've really been enjoying this year uh also the last installment comes out in november 
that's what I'm writing for currently. And then, uh, and then Star Wars in December, and I'm just uh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a mess. What um what book series is that? Uh, it's the Folk of the Air series by Holly Black, and uh, the first book in the series is called the The Cruel Prince. Uh, they're YA fantasy. They are enemies to lovers. They are delightful. Yes, enemies to lovers. <laughs> the juiciest content. <laughs> Great, that's awesome. Um, well, Chell, I feel like we could talk all day. Uh, I'm having such a good time. I don't want this to end. I know. I maybe I have to get you back. I have to read one of your other fan fictions, and we can talk about that. I'll, I'll read a whole series of books, so then I can read your fan fiction. <laughs> it's only two books. It's only two books. You'll uh, be fine. I've got time fine. for two books. That's fine. I've watched The Last Jedi <laughs> fifty times. I read them in two days. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been so great ch- talking to you. Um, I love your fan fiction, obviously. You. Do you want to give a shout out like your where people can find you on Archive and Tumblr and stuff? Sure. Um, I am Destiny's on Archive of Our Own. I am Destiny's Fic on Twitter. That's probably where I'm most active on social media. And I am Destiny's Written on Tumblr. And all of these things are different because Destiny's was taken everywhere but AO3. I so, bet it was. <laughs> I was surprised it wasn't taken on AO3, but, you know, I feel very lucky. Thank you again, and um, this has been great. Yeah, I I would love to come back sometime. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I definitely will. One Shot is made with support from Balloon Tree Productions. The theme song is Dearest Friend by Hem. You can follow me on Twitter at OneShotPod, and subscribe to OneShot on Apple, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts.